Welcome to Talk Angry with Keen and Eldridge, season 10 of the Talk Angry podcast. Taylor, Brian, and I are happy to be back for another season covering Wichita State basketball. A lot of changes within the program since we had our last episode. On today's show, we'll get you ready for the 2022-2023 season. Great show coming up right after this. Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Wichita State Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge, Season 10, Episode 1. We were talking before the show, Taylor. You've been with us for the last five years. First off, how's your summer been? And are you excited to being a little closer to basketball? Yeah, I mean, I'm always excited for, for more basketball. You know, it's right around the corner now. It's uh, hard to believe. You know, I feel like, uh, you know, there's just stuff that always popped up this summer. I, I kind of wanted to take a break, but, uh, you know, there's just always something, uh, always something to write about, always something to cover here in Wichita. And uh, But I'm excited. You know, the end of the summer, that means basketball is right around the corner and uh, you know, we've got some uh, some summer camp reports. You know, they just got back uh, to campus this week. Uh, you know, they're they're getting ready to to start. You know, the the fall semester practices, and then before long, you have the the first official team practice of the the 2022-23 season. And then before you know it, you know we're going to be getting into that exhibition game and the start of the regular season. So it's exciting stuff and uh yeah you know as a, as a basketball as a hoop head you know I'm, I'm ready to get started already as i mentioned in the intro certainly a lot of changes from the end of last season i looked this morning we recorded our last show on march 9th it was posted on the morning of march 10th and of course that was the day that wichita state lost to tulsa in the first round of the aac tournament kind of a disappointing finish to the season they go 15 and 13 it's the first time since 2008 when they don't reach a postseason tournament. They had eight scholarship players leave the program. There's a new assistant coach. We have a completely new roster. There was a change at athletic director. There was an NIL collective formed. Uh, of course, more recently, we got to see some excitement from the aftershocks. So in your opinion, what was the biggest offseason storyline? Probably the, the change in leadership at the athletic director, you know, that's that's one that, you know, that, that's a big one. You know, when you change the vision of the athletic department, uh, you know, that could be a difference maker for Wichita State. And, you know, Kevin Saul has come in and really, really impressed, you know, everyone I've talked to from other media members to business people around Wichita to other people that work in the athletic department at WSU. Everyone has come away extremely impressed by Saul and the the energy that he brings, the the detailed uh, plans that he has for for turning things around at Wichita State, from a financial perspective, from you know introducing NIL and you know educating the fan base. You know your uh, Wichita State fans are going to be hearing a lot about that this coming week. You know he's going to be introducing uh, you know education uh, pieces on what it is, what NIL is exactly what it means for Wichita State, how to give, you know, where that money goes. You know, there's so many avenues now to, to you know, give to the athletes. And, you know, he's going to break it down for, you know, this is what it means if you give to the school. Here's what it means to, you know, if you want to give to Armchair Strategies, the collective, or here's what you, here's what it means if you want to give to the athlete directly. So, you know, that's obviously, you know, why we're here too in the first place. You know, I think the NIL stuff had a, a lot to do with the, you know, the, the firing of, of Darren Boatwright and, and and now that's obviously a huge focus for Saul moving forward because you know there there is so much potential in Wichita for for those NIL money making opportunities. So you know if if they get things headed in the right direction, that could be very promising for the Shockers, uh, you know, men's basketball team. And uh, so in my opinion, that's that's probably the biggest uh, storyline of this off season because if you have a good leader in place, you know that that has that trickle down effect, and you know that can really change. Uh, you know, the sports teams for a school. So, uh, you know, which I'll say, you know, that was probably, you know, I was uh, looking back at it, you know, that's probably one of the worst, uh, you know, academic school years for Wichita State in terms of sports, you know, in a really, really long time. You know, volleyball misses out, uh, men's basketball misses out, and baseball misses out on the postseason. I think that was the first time all three of those missed out on the 
the same academic year in uh, in like 20 years. So, you know, if uh, if Saul can get all three of those programs headed back in the right direction, Shocker fans are going to be very, very happy because, uh, you know, they're, they're ready to, to cheer on uh, these teams. They, they want something to cheer for. And, you know, if they can put some winning products on the floor, so that's going to be a huge step in the right direction. On the subject of NIL, I saw on your Twitter last week, SMU announced that all of their football and basketball players will be receiving, I think it was around 36000 a year to join the program. With regards to where now with Armchair Strategies, where Wichita State stands in the American, kind of where are your thoughts? Is it upper half? Do you think they're ahead of the game, on par with the game, behind the game still, or kind of where are your thoughts on that overall? Yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's a game changer for SMU football. Uh, just because you know that's a, a major commitment for paying that many players on the roster for men's basketball. You know that's not too. I mean, it's nice, but it's not. You know, it's not. They're not going to be in the same stratosphere as you know the Houston's and the Memphises of the world in the market for for those top tier players. So, I mean, I think Wichita State with what they're doing right now, probably in the middle of the pack, and so uh, they they feel like they have that that growth uh, for more. You know, you, you hear. Kevin Saul say a lot, you know, you, they have to match resources to expectations. You know, if they expect to be a championship contender in the American, well, you got to match the resources to it and you got to find a way to work your way up into that that top tier of the American. And that's obviously going to be tough with Memphis. You know, obviously they, they have the FedEx money and, you know, a lot of people on board with Penny. They're in the mix for a lot of top tier talent. And, uh, you know, after they leave, after Houston, the Cincinnati, UCF leave, I think Wichita State could slide into that that top tier because you know that's probably two of the you know the top ones uh, you know leaving. So Wichita State could you know slide from the middle of the pack to the top, and we'll just have to to wait and see how it uh, this upcoming season goes with uh, with Armchair. You know I, I know they're optimistic with what they're doing, but you know there's still a lot a lot of room uh, to grow, and there's still they're still far away from where they think they can be. So that's just one of those we'll have to wait and see. And but right now, you know, if you're asking me, I, I would probably put Wichita State middle of the pack, which I guess is an improvement over, you know, the you know behind just about everyone that, where they were last year. I mentioned the turnover at the end of the season. At one point, you know, you're wondering, are they going to be able to field a team? You just have Porter and Poto coming back as far as players that actually were in the game. You have the two redshirt freshmen in Ricks and Day as well. Butch Pierre joins the staff, known for his recruiting, helped get this roster back full. There'll be a total of 13 new players this year with the nine new scholarship players and four walk-ons. Just talk a little bit about your maybe short interactions you've had with him and how he did on the recruiting trail. Yeah. I mean, he's, uh, he's a real interesting guy. Uh, you know, Butch is, uh, he's one of those, uh, great storyteller, uh, very interesting to talk to. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's seen a lot of high level basketball, you know, he's gone to, uh, I believe the final four with LSU and, you know, recruited a really top tier class at LSU, Oklahoma state, you know, he's been, some of the big programs and playing in the best best basketball league. So he's been there and done that. And now it's kind of a new phase of his uh, career. Spent last year at UTEP, kind of, you know, back in the D1 mix. And uh, now he's moving up to Wichita State. You know, IB is, they, they had that connection of just, you know, seeing each other on the recruiting path over the last, you know, three decades and made that connection. And when that job came up, when uh, Lou uh, Godino left, IB hit up uh, Butch Pierre and uh, they, they made it happen. So, He's he's very charismatic. I think he he is. Uh, you know that's what makes him good on the the recruiting trail. Is you know that's a guy that you know I can just uh, picture that that relates well to players. You know he he makes them comfortable, and he was definitely one that made an impact. Uh, you know late late in the recruiting cycle. You know Shamal Scott was uh, that was kind of his uh, his guy that to to bring in the number thirteen scholarship. They were looking for a point guard, and Butch found him at a JUCO showcase in Vegas in the middle of the summer. So that was a uh, a nice find by all accounts uh, by him and played a role in, you know, bringing Jacob Wilson, the the only freshman, uh, true freshman coming in, guys like that. So I think moving forward, you can expect a pretty big presence from, from Butch on the recruiting trail. I want to talk about the whole roster overall, but I do have a few questions for you right off the top. First off, when you just look at the makeup of the roster, I think it was impressive with as many spots as they had to fill that they were able to even out the classes pretty well. You have three seniors in Porter, Okafor, and Rojas. You have two juniors, 
five sophomores, the three freshmen, two of those uh, returning redshirt freshmen. So your thoughts just on kind of the makeup of the roster. And then as far as the newcomers are concerned, who do you have your eye on? Maybe a couple of them to have an immediate impact. Yeah, I think we've talked about this before uh, recently, too, just with the transfer portal. It's so tough to plan a roster now. And, uh, you know, I think I've talked before about, you know, when I used to play like NCAA football, you know, I'd have these spreadsheets and, you know, I'd project, you know, three, four years down the road. And, uh, you know, back then that's what you could do. And now it's just like in the in the basketball world, it's so hard to project, you know, two, three years down the road. You can really just do it this year and next year. And so, yeah, the, the roster makeup is nice, but, you know, the, the likelihood that all these guys stay together, the, reality, the reality of the situation is that, you know, chunk of these guys are, are probably going to transfer by the time they, they finish their, exhaust their eligibility. So, uh, but they, they, they did want to bring in veteran guys that could help right away. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, they, they're so much roster turnover. They needed guys to, to some kind of veterans to come in and, uh, you know, provide that leadership. And, yeah, you know, uh, someone like James Rojas is going to be uh, probably more valuable in the locker room as a voice than he's going to be on the actual basketball court. I think he will play a role for this team. But everything I've heard is that, you know, this guy is just always talking on the defense. He's already a voice. You know, he's a fifth-year senior. Um, you know, he's been there. He's done that at Alabama. Uh, he played a very high level at Hutch Juco. So, that's someone the guys really, really respect, and he walked in, you know, day one as a leader on this team just because of his voice, and I think he's going to be a valuable guy in the locker room. In terms of newcomers that to watch, uh, you know, it's so up in the air. You know, they've only had uh, summer workouts, really. You know, they just got back on campus, like I said, so, you know, they haven't had too many team, team practices or, you know, time together as a team, so it's tough to say, but someone like Jerron Pierre Jr., just from my limited time watching these guys this summer I, I saw them uh you know one practice a couple of runs with the aftershocks a couple other runs and that's just pickup ball you know that's different than you know how they're actually going to play but i will say you know john pierre jr this guy is a, a natural scorer and you know wsu really really believes that you know the his talent that is way it's kind of you know similar to you know someone like ricky council where it's like it's pretty evident early on that ricky council's talent was, you know, exceeded, you know, Wichita State. You know, he, he had that NBA talent, you know, if it all just came together. John Pierre Jr., he's you know, probably not at that level, but it's it, like his ability to score, it probably exceeds, you know, Wichita State's level right now. And if he can put it together this season, you know, the Shockers could get could have a steal on their hands. Uh, the, the issue for him is just going to be shot selection because uh, he's so talented. He can, you know, create off the dribble. He can get to his spots, and he can score with the best of them. But, you know, the challenge uh, for him at Southern Miss was, you know, you got to take those those high-percentage shots. You know, he's a tough shot maker. But, you know, if your whole diet of shots are tough shots, you know, you're going to shoot, you know, low 30s, which is what he did at Southern Miss. And his efficiency was uh, his numbers just weren't good. And at Wichita State, that's going to be the challenge. You know, this is a step up in conference. You know, AAC is going to be – uh, much tougher, but you know, uh, I think if he has that maturity and working with IB and this coaching staff fitting into a system, I think he could be a sleeper. You know, Gus, um, Gus Okafor is another one I really like. Uh, you know, he's uh, uh, kind of reminds me of Monzi, uh, you know, just in terms of the high motor always going, uh, but he's a little bit more in control. Uh, but he has that high mo motor just like Monzi and, uh, you know, he's undersized four. He's only probably like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but, you know, I think he's he's got like a 6'9", wingspan. He's going to be able to play the, the small ball four. And, uh, you know, the big question for him is, is he going to be able to stretch the four for Wichita State? You know, the three-point shooting numbers weren't great last year, really tailed off. If you look at the first half of the season, he was shooting like 40%. So if he can shoot, you know, he doesn't even have to shoot 40. Anything above 35 would be a godsend for Wichita State after the last, you know, three, four years with Trey Wade and uh, J uh, uh, Joe Pleasant, uh, you know, shooting uh, like sub 30 from three. So, you know, if they can just get any kind of presence, uh, outside presence from the four, that would be huge. Quincy Ballard is another name that I keep hearing about. You know, he's probably not going to play big minutes, but, you know, he's a seven-foot transfer from Florida State, hardly ever played. Uh, you know, they're playing a walk-on above him at the end of the last season. 
I think he just fell out of favor with the coaching staff. So he needed a, a fresh start, and he's got one here at Wichita State. Very athletic for a seven-footer, moves well, and is just a, you know, a freak uh, you know, on the defensive end. He can just block shots like crazy. He's going to be a, a rim runner. On offense, you know, he's going to be out front kind of setting those uh, those screens like Asbjorn used to. The difference is he's going to be able to roll to the rim and explode and be a vertical threat, unlike, you know, some of the other seven-footers they've had in the past. So that's going to give Wichita State a brand-new look, something they haven't had, especially on the defensive end, uh, because they, they really haven't had that athletic seven-foot shot blocker that a lot of these other AAC teams have. So he could be a game-changer for the Shockers. Like I said, I don't think he's going to be playing 25 minutes. Uh, he will be part of that center rotation, though. So you could probably expect, uh, you know, a high impact, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, 12, 15 minutes per game. Uh, I think he could be, you know, he's going to have flashes of brilliance. But, you know, this is basically the first time he's playing uh, major minutes, uh, you know, in three years. So there's going to be growing pains there. Uh, you know, he's going to be chasing blocks. So he's going to have to restrain himself. Uh, you know, fit into that team defense. But, you know, it's such a game changer when you have a seven-footer protecting the rim. That can clean up a lot of mistakes on your defense and make your defense look a lot better than what it actually is. So uh, that's something that's uh, really exciting for the Wichita State coaching staff whenever I talk to them. They're very excited about about that. So those are some of those. I mean, we can talk about some of the other ones, but those are the three kind of uh, off the top of my head that that could make a difference. And I'm just happy to see that they have some length uh, on the roster again. It seems like, you know, really for the last few seasons, it's been a struggle. And to your point, not quite having that same athleticism as some of the other teams in the American Athletic Conference. Want to look at the two returning redshirt freshmen in Ricks and Abide. Um, Just kind of what have you heard about those two? And do you see their year already in the program being to their advantage or, you know, competing for more minutes as they come into this year? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an advantage for them. Uh, you know, you, you look at the roster and really only Craig and uh, Kenny are the ones that have experience at Wichita State, uh, you know, coming into this season. So uh, just having that year of experience under IB, knowing how they practice, you know, knowing what they need to do, uh, you know, in the team concept uh, of defense, uh, running the sets, you know, that's a huge advantage. And uh, uh, for Jalen Ricks, you know, obviously he was disappointed uh, to tear that, um, I believe it was meniscus. I forgot exactly what that injury was, but, uh, you know, it took him out of just about the whole season. He was finally able to return to the court like in late March, and uh, and now he's finally back uh, 100%, so he's just happy to be back out there. And, you know, everything I heard last summer was that, you know, this guy was a sharpshooter. You know, he's 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, uh, could be a, a future matchup problem at the two. Uh, definitely a scoring guard more than, uh, you know, a stretch four or something like that. So uh, he's, uh, you know, a good rebounder for his size. You know, that's a plus. If you, you stick him at the two, he could, uh, you know, help with that team rebounding. And, uh, you know, if he can stroke the ball like he was uh, last summer, uh, you know, you're going to find your way on the court if you can shoot it. Big question for him, you know, his athleticism now. How does he come back from that injury? And uh, can he defend? You know, that's uh, it's going to be a big point uh, with IB. I think this year is that you know, uh, you know, gone are the you know the Tyson Etienne days. You know, uh, of where you know you have this uh, offensive you know supernova, and obviously uh, you know the efficiency there for him wasn't wasn't great last season. But you know the the talent was pretty evident with him. Uh, you know that's that's probably not going to be the case this year. You know they're going to have to rely more on team ball. On uh, you know, and I think you're, you, I think you can expect a different version of Wichita State basketball this season. Uh, and I think everything I've been told too from IB is that he's changed, uh, you know, the way that he's uh, coaching these guys. And uh, a big point too, I think uh, someone told me this this summer. I thought it was a great point was that you know a lot of those guys last year, you know, uh, you know Tyson, Dexter, Mo, uh, guys that have been in the program for you know two, three plus years. Uh, had seen IB as an assistant coach. You know, they came to Wichita State and they knew they got to know IB as that assistant. So it's like it's always hard, you know, uh, the mentality when uh, the assistant becomes the head coach and, you know, you just always have that first impression. Whereas this new group, I mean, all these guys except Craig only know IB as, as the head coach. And, you know, they, I think that just he's going to have a different kind of command of the team 
uh, just a different level of, uh, you know, I guess respect, I would say. And uh, I think everything I've heard is that IB, you know, is a little more aggressive in coaching this year. Uh, you know, he's getting on guys uh, and he's getting back to kind of like those, those fundamentals of shocker basketball, what made them great. You know, that COVID year when they won the championship, you know, defense and rebounding and, uh, you know, obviously you want a little bit better offense than that, than that year. But, you know, if they can get back to defending and rebounding like they did that year, you know, th- I think this team could surprise some people. But, you know, there's just so many question marks, uh, you know, on the on the floor. And I guess I'll, I kind of went on a, a rant there. But uh, to, to finish up with a B-Day, uh, super athletic. Uh, you know, he's a freak athlete. He's very bouncy. He's going to make splash plays on defense with blocking uh, from the weak side. Uh, you know, I, I've been told that his uh, three-point shot has improved. Uh, you know, a lot of people see, you know, he's 6'9". They're going to think he's maybe a five. He's more of a three, honestly, than than a five. He wants to be on the perimeter. Uh, he's worked really hard on his shot. He's worked hard on putting on weight. He's put on about 15, 20 pounds since arriving at Wichita. And uh, I think his ideal spot is going to be that small ball four. You know, if he can slot in and defend, and like I said, play in a team concept and and defend those bigger fours that, that might, uh, you know, try to take him down and bully him in the post. If he can defend that, you know, I think he's going to see – uh, some time for the Shockers this year because uh, he's, uh, he's a very intriguing prospect just because of the athleticism. So I think those two guys, they do have a leg up on the other competition because they have that year of experience, but there's just, uh, you know, it's so deep right now. And, they're, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because, uh, you know, I think you have probably 12 guys that are going to be uh, vying for playing time this year. It's funny you bring that up, and I know it's way too early. They haven't started practice, and it will probably change throughout the season. But the whole reason you have a podcast, in my opinion, is to talk about stuff like this. Outside of Craig Porter, if you had to just take a guess at what that first starting five looks like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, that's tough. Um, you know, Craig is uh, definitely, uh, we should talk about him, too. I've, I've heard good stuff about him. Uh, Craig at the one. You know, Colby Rogers is uh, is definitely an intriguing prospect for me. I loved his tape, you know, when I watched it on Synergy, a total sharpshooter, um, you know, catch and shoot off the dribble. Um, you know, that's exactly what a team like this needs. So I would go Craig, Colby. I'm going to go Jerron as uh, kind of a three-guard uh, lineup, uh, I guess, at the three. Uh, it doesn't really matter. You know, those guys can interchange and then you got Gus at the four I would guess and then uh probably Kenny at the five that would be my guess I haven't really talked to I don't even bother asking the coaches uh you know stuff like that because they're just going to tell me it's way too early so that's uh kind of my informed but not you know not not totally educated but that's just kind of my guess after seeing some of these pickup runs uh uh, at the very least you know those five are going to be involved uh, pretty heavily. Jaquan Walton, though, that's uh, that's a name to watch. Uh, you know, they, they really like his talent. He could slot in at their three as well, uh, you know, with a good good fall. Um, you know, Xavier Bell, that's someone who's uh, reliable. Uh, you know, the coaches like that. Um, you know, maybe Quincy Ballard surprises, and uh, maybe he grabs that starting spot, or they go with James Rojas just because of the veteran experience, uh, you know, at the five. So we'll, we'll have to see, but... Um, I would go Craig Colby, uh, Jerron Pierre, Gus Okafor, and Kenny Poto for my starting five. The conference will look a lot different after this season. It's the last year for Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF before they go off to the Big 12. You know, we're, we're all different, and, and the uh, preseason projections will come out here in the coming months. But what do you think are reasonable expectations for Wichita State? Somewhere in that 5-7 to seven range. I, I know there's too many unknowns to really project this, but when you look at the other teams and what are coming, what's coming back in the AAC, what, what do you think the, you know, kind of Wichita State's ceiling would be this year? Ceiling, that's, uh, you know, the ceiling would probably be, I mean, I don't want to put like a, a cap on these guys. You know, obviously they're going to think they can get back to the NCAA tournament, um, but, you know, I think realistic just from the outside looking in, uh, you know, would probably be uh, NIT worth, you know, a competitive, you know, maybe a third, fourth, fifth place finish. You win, uh, you know, 20 plus games and uh, get back to the postseason. And, you know, I don't, maybe this is the, the year that they would play in something less lesser than the NIT, you know, one of those CBIs or uh, college uh, insider tournament, whatever those things are called. 
just because they have such a young uh, team and, and new team. But, uh, you know, last year that wasn't the case. It was basically, you know, we're not playing anything lesser than the, the NIT. So I think if they can just get back to postseason, I think that would be a step in the right direction. And more importantly, I think uh, this season it's more about, um, you know, the process. So results would be what I would be looking for. You know, this is uh, kind of the first team that IB has is going to have that, that he can shape in his uh, vision. You know, uh, that that those first two teams were heavily Greg Marshall influenced. You know, the, a lot of the key pieces were were already there, uh, you know, before he took over. So this is the first one where it's really going to be like his team. It's going to have his fingerprints all over it. How's that going to look? You know, how much different is it going to look uh, than last year? Uh, I mean, obviously the offense last year was uh, not great. You know, that's uh, not what you want to see uh, on tape. Uh, you know, they would have flashes here and there, but for the most part, uh, that's not winning basketball. So, you know, can they get back to that? Like I said, the defense and rebounding. And then the big question mark for me is like, what's the offense going to look like? You know, there's so many new pieces, but, you know, are they going to run more sets or is it still going to be a lot of that, uh, you know, high ball screen and we're just going to let these guys make reads and, uh, you know, just put it up in the players' uh, hands. So that's what I'm going to be watching for. You know, uh, I'm not so concerned about the win-loss record. I want to see, you know, what this team looks like and how IB, uh, you know, changes some things up uh, this season. With the conference going to look drastically different next season, I think at the minimum you want to be on the ascent. You want to set the tone when these, I believe, six new teams are added to the American next year. Talk about racking up wins. Most of the non-conference schedule has been finalized. They start off on November 7th with Central Arkansas at Cocorina. Very Cocorina heavy. Don't really have a lot of travel. They do go to K-State. They have the games in Kansas City. But when you look at the non-con overall, anything that jumps out to you. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely, I mean, the first thing that jumps out to me is it's, uh, you know, kind of a, not as aggressive as they've been in non-conference. Uh, you know, that was kind of a, a point of pride for, you know, Greg Marshall, even after they, they went to the American, which was a step up, and they probably didn't have to schedule as aggressively, but they still did. And, uh, you know, usually you would expect, you know, one or two more, you know, of those stiff challenges. And uh, and then you look at the, you know, the midseason tournament, uh, and it's just not that that marquee tournament that they're used to being in. You know, Grand Canyon, UNI, San Francisco, those are all solid programs. But, you know, that's nothing to write home about. That's nothing to get, you know, the fan base fired up about. And, uh, yeah, you, you, I mean, you said it with, uh, with the, the, the slate at Coke Arena. You know, it's not uh, a ton to get excited about. You know, Missouri is the, the marquee game. Um, Oklahoma State, uh, I mean, those two at home. And then... Uh, uh, traveling to K-State. So, uh, you know, that's definitely not a, uh, a non-conference where, you know, you're, you're scheduling aggressive to try to get an NCAA tournament bid. You know, this is one where, hey, we have a young team. We have, you know, nine newcomers. Uh, you know, this is kind of a let's build some confidence in the, new, in the, in the non-conference and, uh, and try to get the ball rolling before, you know, the AAC play comes around. And then there's obviously the, you know, uh, let's be real, you know, there's a lot of disappointment from the fan base, how last season went. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they can afford another disappointing, uh, you know, start to the season. So I'm sure that that maybe played a role, too, in, in a, a scheduling because, uh, you know, regardless of who you play, you know, if you can look at the non-conference at the end of it and say, hey, we're 10-2 and two going into conference, you know, that's much better than playing a tough, tough schedule, maybe going six and five, something like that. And then, you know, uh, then you have the fan base, you know, freaking out because uh, they've lost five times already before the start of conference plays. So uh, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, that's the, the thing that sticks out to me, though, is that this is probably the weakest schedule, certainly since I've been covering the team, you know, the last five years. And that's, that's not to say that it's, uh, you know, extremely weak compared to the rest of the country. Um, I mean, I think it's it's probably going to be middle of the pack for the American, and uh, uh, but but you know for Wichita State uh, standards, you know definitely leaves a little to be desired for the for the fan base, you know, in terms of looking forward to entertainment at Coke Arena in in November and December. 
I've done this podcast 10 years and I've probably talked about this every single season. Being at the TBT a couple weeks ago, it was nice that three to 4,000 fans still created a pretty darn good atmosphere. It was a lot of fun during those four TBT games in Wichita. And my hope is, is that the fan base can get behind these guys. Obviously, a fast start in non-con, to your point, helps with that. Maybe you have a game at Interest Bank Arena in there as well. But for you know fans that want to watch the team, it's a quick trip to Kansas City. I went to the CBE when they were there uh, kind of early on in the Marshall era. Got the game at K-State. We owe them one. I was not at the game last year because I was down in Mexico at my wedding. And the fact that they kind of gave up the lead and, and uh, you know, you want to have that in-state pride. So still some opportunities. You still have two Big 12 teams and an SEC team on the schedule. As far as AAC play is concerned, they'll just play Cincinnati once at home. They'll play Temple once on the road and then everyone else twice. It's kind of a, a sad year, in my opinion, for the American because we were all so excited as Wichita State fans when they joined the AAC, thought Cincinnati was going to be that natural rival. Never have really been able to keep up with Houston and Memphis and really the last opportunity this year to, to try and make some noise. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be a, a, a totally different look going forward. Um, you know, uh, I think people are maybe sleeping on the teams coming in, though. You know, North Texas and UAB are... Uh, very, very good. You know, if you get a chance to watch UAB this year, you know, they are a legit top 25 team. Uh, they're not just, you know, Conference USA good. You know, they're they're legitimately good. So if those two programs can keep their coaches coming in, that's the problem is that, you know, they're probably going to win big again this year. And, you know, McCaslin and Kennedy are going to be two names that are, you know, on that, that you know, the, the coaching carousel that are probably going to be moving up soon. So, that's the that's the big question mark for me is uh, you know can they uh, maintain those coaches coming into the American because if they do you know those are two programs that can be at the top of the the conference you know right right away but uh, you know if you're ta- if they lose their coaches they have to start all over then you're looking at all these new teams you know slotting in probably in the middle and the bottom of the conference and you're left with uh, you know the Memphis SMU Wichita State as kind of uh, you know maybe Temple. Uh, and don't sleep on Tulane. I almost forgot Tulane. I absolutely love what they have coming back uh, this year. You know, Ron Hunter is, uh, you know, I've been rooting for him uh, ever since he took over. He's just an easy guy to root for, and I really love what he's done down there in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, they're kind of the, the the sleeper pick, you know, kind of that 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 sexy pick to, to challenge for maybe even a conference championship. I think Houston is obviously going to be the unanimous favorite, and Memphis is always up there. Cincinnati should be much stronger this year, uh, but Tulane, I've seen them, uh, you know, I've, I've been pretty uh, proud. I thought I was kind of going out on a limb last year. I think I picked them sixth in the American, uh, and I don't think they've finished uh, outside the, uh, the bottom of the conference since I came in uh, in two, 2017, so I thought I was going out on a limb, and now we're talking about Tulane maybe being in the top three in the American, so what a time to, to be alive down uh, down there for the green wave, but um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a totally new look conference. Uh, uh, you know, they're obviously hoping they can still be a, a multi-bid league. Uh, we'll have to wait and see for that. You know, it's looking increasingly, you know, more and more like, you know, it's probably going to be a, a two-bid league at most and um, maybe even a one-bid league uh, after all these guys leave. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. And, uh, you know, there's always, that's the thing about conference realignment is that things can change on the drop of a hat. You know who knows that what you know if uh, if Temple is there, if Memphis is there, SMU, uh, you know there in uh, in two or three years. So we'll just have to wait and see on that. Used to be Taylor's Temple Owls, and now we'll have to switch that to Taylor's yeah, Tulane I'm, Green Wave. I'm all in on Tulane now. I don't think college realignment is done when you look at even just went on here recently and it seems like the Pac-12 is kind of teetering, the Big 12, you know, are they going to, at a point they can go on offense now? So definitely could be some changes in the future. Speaking of changes as far as new head coaches, Tulsa, SMU, and East Carolina will all have new coaches this year. Taylor, between now and let's say shocker madness, as far as your coverage at Kansas.com, maybe give our listeners some some thoughts on uh, what you will will have coming out and then just any storylines that you'll be watching between now and, and really the start of the season. Yeah. I mean, I assume we'll post this podcast uh, this week and uh, you know, the, I'll, I have a big story coming out on Thursday on Kansas.com about uh, kind of a blast from the past. DJ Bowles. You, you remember that name? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously uh, you know, a lot of people remember that story 
and kind of forget, you know, uh, a lot of the details where they, they just forget about him. He kind of got washed away uh, by the success. I mean, you, I think people kind of forget that that happened before the 13-14 the season where they go on and have this 35-0 and season. They, they, you know, make history. And, you know, DJ Bowles was supposed to be the backup point guard on that team. You know, he, he was going to play a role. And everyone I've talked to said that, you know, he was looking really good in, in summer workouts. And, uh, you know, he was going to be kind of, uh, you know, tutored by Fred Van Fleet. And obviously a lot of people remember, you know, he had that, uh, you know, heart failure, collapsed during a preseason workout, almost died, uh, you know, at Coke Arena, right, at center court, and uh, had to be revived by uh, Todd Fagan and 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 Cat Hollowell, uh, the two trainers at Wichita State, you know, they had to break out the fibrillator and, uh, and and do some CPR, and they saved his life on the court. So for the first time uh, ever, uh, you know, DJ opened up about that. I, I hit him up, and I was like, I just thought it would be an interesting story idea. I was like, I wonder what he's up to now. This is before, uh, you know, that accident was before my time on the beat. Uh, but I had all, I just remembered hearing about it. I was just like, Hey, I, I saw him on Facebook one day. I was like, Hey, I wonder what he's up to these days. So I, I hit him up and he was more than happy to, to talk. And, uh, it was pretty cool. You know, he has a lot of gratitude for Wichita state. Uh, you know, at the time Eric Sexton was the AD and, uh, you know, even though they didn't medically clear him, uh, they, they still extended that they honored the scholarship for all four years if you wanted to stay for academics. So, uh, he's always really appreciated that. He was really appreciative of the way that his teammates handled that situation. Uh, you know, obviously he couldn't play basketball anymore, but they still included him in team activities. He was able to sit on the bench, you know, be in timeouts, uh, would go to practices. And, and they. he said that, you know, guys like Fred and Ron and Klee and uh, Tekel, you know, those guys included him and made him a part of that team instead of feeling like an outsider. So, He's, uh, he said he was watching those TBT games on uh, on ESPN and was uh, loving the aftershocks, loving the crowd. and uh, So he's still a Wichita State fan all these years later. And uh, I also talked to the two trainers, uh, Todd and Kat, who were there, and they kind of took me through, you know, that the, the frantic moments of, you know, saving this kid's life and, uh, and how scary it was down there. I talked to J.R. Simon, who was at the, the individual workout, so uh, I think it'll be a really cool story. So yeah, if they want Shocker fans want to check that out, that'll be on Kansas.com this week. Um, DJ Bulls update. Um, and really, I got a couple more player updates I'm going to be doing. Uh, that I've I talked to. Uh, I got a story on Jerron uh, Pierre coming. Um, I'll probably do an update on Colby Rogers. Uh, they're they're going to file that uh, uh, um, the request for him to play a waiver. Um, and he's still waiting to hear back on that. Um, who else? Um, Jalen Ricks, Jacob Wilson. I think I had pro player profiles on them. And then, you know, by the time I'm done with that, you know, we're going to be into, uh, team practices. So, um, and another story I'll be working on is Craig Porter. Uh, I kind of mentioned him earlier. Um, everything I've heard about Craig is that he is a totally different, uh, this summer in terms of uh, leadership and vocal, uh, more, mostly, you know, vocal leadership. You know, he's still kind of the same player, still super smooth, uh, you know, can score it, can distribute. And I think he's uh, taken the confidence that he had, you know, built up from the last, uh, you know, two months of the season where he really came into his own was a real problem for, for AAC teams. You know, you think back to that uh, home game against Houston and the double overtime, you know, they could not stop Craig Porter. And uh, I think he's carried over that confidence and that momentum, and he's uh, carried it into this year. And then the big difference is just the vocal leadership. You know, he's carrying himself different. You know, I was talking to, to somebody on the team today, and they, they actually said that he kind of reminds them of just that, that Fred Van Fleet aura in terms of just, you know, having that respect on a team, uh, of having that leadership, you know, being the point guard, you know, obviously everyone's going to be looking towards you and, you know, he's the guy on this team. So, you know, that's a huge role. And, uh, everything I've heard is that Craig is stepping up to the plate and, uh, really embracing that, that challenge. Cause you know, he's not naturally, uh, you know, uh, vocal. And I think it's kind of the same way as Fred where, you know, Fred wasn't, uh, naturally that way either, but, you know, he just carried that, that self-confidence and, everyone just kind of gravitated to him. It wasn't because he was that huge rah-rah guy. 
It was just because everyone respected him so much. And I think, uh, you know, obviously not to the degree of Fred, but, you know, it's a very similar situation playing out here because Craig is, you know, the best player returning from last year's team and uh, just about the only one. So uh, he just kind of carries a different kind of respect on this team and carries himself a different way. And uh, he's going to be the guy on, on this team. So I'll, I'll be doing, uh, you know, plenty of stories about him uh, this senior year. Because uh, I know Wichita State uh, coaching staff, very happy he decided to come back. You think there's any chance he makes a preseason All-AAC team? Uh, there is a chance. Uh, I don't know. I think they only do two teams. So if they only do two teams, like I remember, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets left off um, of that. You know, top 10, uh, just because there's so many talented players uh, at the top of the AAC. Um, it would not surprise me if he makes, you know, a, you know, a third or second team. Uh, first team, you know, you're going to have to go crazy or, you know, Wichita State's going to have to surprise some people, you know, on the team standings. But, you know, second or third team, I could see that uh, in the cards for Craig for sure. Just because he's so, you know, he just uh, fills up the stat sheet, you know, with the uh, not just points and rebounds and assists, but blocks and steals. You know, uh, one of the best shot blocking point guards, if not the best, you know, under six foot three. I think I looked up that stat last year and he was like one or two, I believe. So, um, you know, he's he, he does it all, and that's what makes him special is because, you know, he can impact the game in so many different ways. I won't hold you to this, but if you had to take a guess, when the preseason poll comes out, where will Wichita State be? Oh, that's a good question. I would guess just off the top of my head, uh, you know, seven. I think they... I think I've seen uh, just from like a lot of preseason ones from, you know, writers around the country, they've had them, you know, six, seven, eight uh, around that range. So I think just because there's so much, I mean, I, I would I would not know on the outside looking in, you know, I don't know how the heck you would try to rate these guys because there's so much turnover and they're, they're you know, you just have to project, uh, you know, so many guys in new roles at new levels that, you know, they're, they're really the X fact, you know, kind of the wild card team in the American. Cause you know, if it goes bad, you know, it could go really bad, but if it goes well, they're going to surprise some people, you know, uh, I would, I would say that, um, you know, they're going to be picked in the middle of the pack, uh, more towards the back end than, than the front end though. We didn't talk a lot about the TBT, but it was a fun run a couple weeks ago aftershock season ends again in Dayton. The one interesting thing that I found is Shocker fans really coming to love and appreciate some of the guys that didn't play at Wichita State and kind of said, you know, they had adopted Shocker basketball, predominantly James Dickey, you know, would have been great to have him on a Shocker roster. One other thing to think about with all the turnover over these last few years, they're going to need some of these guys to start sticking around if you're going to have enough to uh, field a TBT team. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that was uh, kind of something I was talking to Zach about, but you know, the core they have is, uh, you know, they've been around a long time, but they're still relatively young. You know, they're a lot of, uh, you know, pretty much everyone except uh, Clevin was, you know, 2017, 2018 uh, grad. So, you know, those guys are just entering their prime, uh, you know, the, those late 20 years. And uh, so they could they could stick around for a while and, uh, you know, not have to make any changes because, you know, you got a pretty solid, you know, group of five or six guys. And then uh, you never know with, you know, a guy like uh, Jaime Echenique. Uh, you know, obviously he's right. You're knocking, knocking right there on the door of the NBA. But, you know, if that doesn't work out, you know, maybe in a year or two, uh, maybe that's uh, someone that would consider coming back. You know, he came back just to watch this this year. Uh, you know, I, I know he would love to play, but obviously you don't want to risk that if you're that close to the NBA. Uh, kind of the same deal for Tyson Etienne. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think uh, this guy reminds me of the Landry Shamit thing where he declared everyone kind of, uh, you know, uh, piled on him about it being the wrong decision and uh, and said, you know, he's not cut out for the NBA. And then obviously, you know, Landry's made a lot of money and uh, played on some really good teams. I think that uh, Tyson's going to surprise a lot of people because I think he's going to, at worst, get a two-way contract with the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, they just waived a point guard they had on the two-way um uh, not too long ago, that kind of opened the door, and uh, you know, it's just easy to to envision Tyson getting that two way contract, maybe even a, a, a you know a full time roster spot with the Hawks. Uh, we'll have to see, but I, I do think he's going to surprise a lot of Shocker fans who maybe have a bad taste in their mouth with how last season went. Uh, but you know, so guys like that, uh, you know, Joe Raglan would be perfect uh, for TBT, but everything I've been told is that he just doesn't want to. 
you know, it's it's such a commitment to come back for for two or three weeks. Uh, you know, when you we only get so much time with with uh, family. So he's just a big family guy. Uh, doesn't want to sacrifice, you know, that time away from his family uh, that he gets. But he's just absolutely killing overseas. You know, Clay Anthony Early would obviously be maybe a, a wild card guy uh, to to maybe add in the future. Uh, but you know, a guy like Craig, you know, that's a, that's a I I would think he would be a great addition to. Uh, the aftershocks, you know, depending on what opportunities he has, uh, you know, uh, for pro-, pro ball after this season. But, you know, he's someone that you can plug and play just about anywhere. So uh, he would be a great fit. But, yeah, you're right. You know, there's just not not a, a ton of options since that McDuffie-Samaje uh, senior class in 2019. So uh, the good news is that they have a fair, fairly young core. I think they can run it back if they want to. But, you know, it, it's it is a major commitment. I've seen that that kind of that pull behind the scenes, and it, it's a major time commitment away from their families. And uh, you know, so I, I don't think Wichita State fans should uh, take it as a given that it's going to happen every single year, every single summer. Uh, so it, it could, uh, you know, go away with a snap of the finger if you know if uh, you know a couple of those guys don't want to do it anymore. Uh, it could be gone. So. Uh, the good news, though, is that, you know, I, I talked to TBT and they were optimistic. Uh, you know, I threw out the idea of like, hey, have you ever considered, you know, hosting that that championship week in Wichita? And John McGar was uh, the CEO of uh, TBT, very, opt- uh, you know, very receptive of that idea. He's like, that's definitely something we would consider. And obviously, Zach was all in on it. Uh, you know, if you look at it, you know, the Aftershocks have not lost at Coke Arena the last two summers now. You know, they have that seven-game winning streak at Coke Arena. So if you give them every game at Coke Arena, you know, they would have a, a serious chance at winning that $1 million prize. So uh, that's something to watch, too, is that TBT, that championship week, could be coming to Wichita, you know, maybe next summer, maybe 2024. We'll have to wait and uh, we'll have to see on that. But, you know, they were definitely open to that idea of potentially hosting Wichita. I want to give Taylor some credit. This is his flu game. You know, he's not feeling 100%. Summer update episode. We, you know, pull him in here and he's powered through it. You've been talking, you know, going on an hour here. So got to get not just the best beat writer in the AAC, but it's our podcast. We can say the best beat writer in the country. Good job, Taylor. I appreciate you. Do we have Final Four? Or buy or sell. I'm sorry. In the early seasons, it was Final Four quickie. So I I, I went season back to 10. seasons one That's through five direction. there. Season ten, buy or sell. So we'll we'll go on that uh, TBT question. So buy or sell next summer, the TBT championship is hosted in Wichita. Mm. I will. I will sell that. Uh, I will buy that. It eventually comes to Wichita, but. Um, I, I don't know. I, I was told that it's a year-to-year contract. Um, I'd have to double-check that, but uh, they, they've done it in Dayton. They've done it in Ohio for, I think, two or three years in a row now. So it's just a central location. That's that's the downside of Wichita. It's kind of hard to get to. Uh, you know, there's not very many direct flights. Uh, you know, a lot of these teams are from the East Coast. Um, so Ohio is a little more, you know, centrally located uh, for the other teams. But I think... Uh, Wichita is such a moneymaker for TBT. I, I just don't think they, they might. That That's the thing where they might not just care just because, you know, I think if a championship comes to Wichita, you know, you could see upwards of five 6,000 fans there. And then if Wichita, you know, Aftershocks play for a championship, you know, they, they, they could sell that place out, you know, realistically. So I think that's just going to be too hard to turn down if you're TBT. So I will buy that in long term, but I'll sell that if you're asking for, for just this next year. I will also sell that, but what are we talking about? Dayton? Dayton's got so many more direct flights than Wichita does. You know, sometimes in Wichita we sell ourselves short a little bit. And one last point on the TBT, there was an old guy that was here in Wichita kind of running the whole show, and every single time out he was out on the court, and, I mean, he, he was pretty in charge. He was an intimidating character. That last game was a lot of fun. Shocker fans are chirping uh, with the bench for the the team that they beat. The, was that the Gutter Cats? I, I forget Gutter whatever that game. last game was. But uh, it was a lot of fun when you're going back to back to back every couple days, getting together with similar group, getting to having you know, a fun time before or after the game it's a lot of fun for the summer let me ask you guys this real quick too like the the attendance was a little down this year and you know obviously the the team was probably the best they've had out of those that three or 
three years they've done it. So, like, in your opinion, like, what could they do differently? Or is it just a simple matter of, you know, it's not new anymore, it's just going to be hard to, to get fans out in the summer? Like, what, what are some ideas that you guys would have? Or, like, what, what kind of would be the explanation there? Like, why the aftershocks just aren't as big of a deal as they were? It just seems like it's kind of diminishing almost. I definitely think there is something to the newness of it, which is always going to be there. But I think you can always expect a very solid, stable, rabid fan base to show up for the TBT as long as you continue to have those alumni come back. I think probably the one thing that stands out is not just the players that are coming back, but the ones that aren't going to be playing, like Jaime coming back to just be around it. You know, other players coming in to support him last year. You know, you had Fred there for a day and he signed autographs and stuff. I, I think those, the the almost family reunion aspect of it is what's going to give it its its longevity. Summer is tough. You have people going on vacation. I believe on that fourth game, they made the tickets a little cheaper to try and pack the place a little bit more. Um, so I don't know if there's anything they can do, but I will say, you know, particularly if the championship's in there, I, I think they can, you know, push that all-time attendance record, which I think is somewhere in the 7,000. So, uh, but but it was a lot of fun, and, it, and it, you know, the people that were there wanted to be there. They wanted to be loud. They appreciated the guys making the effort. So I, I thought it was probably a better atmosphere than we saw. Maybe it every single game yeah. in the regular season last year coke arena was didn't necessarily have its mystique last season and so when you see that snippet when you see it have an impact on the game with you know 4000 people in the building i, I think yeah. that just shows you what can be yeah elam ending was just insane too it's just a different level of, of intensity and yeah if you think back to like so i've i've covered this team for 5 years like the loudest coke arena has been uh, you know, some of these Elam ending, you know, the two with Connor last year and then uh, this last one with the Gutter Cat gang, I mean, they're probably up there for like the loudest Coke Arena has been just because it's so intense. And even with just, uh, you know, four, four or five thousand fans, like you said, all of them want to be there. I think that's the difference compared to, you know, maybe a Wichita State regular season basketball game where it's a lot of, you know, uh, you know, companies just handing out tickets, you know, people giving away tickets. It's not necessarily you know, people that are, you know, diehard. Everyone that was at TBT was a diehard fan. So uh, that's what makes it so special. And, uh, you know, that's why I just don't, I don't understand why they're not more well attended just because it's a good product. It's good basketball. And, you know, that Elam ending, it's just so special. You know, it's just uh, unlike anything else. And, uh, you know, it's the intensity and the atmosphere when it gets down to that, that final bucket, you know, it's just, I don't know if you're a Wichita State fan. Like, why why aren't you coming out to that? That's just uh, that's must see, uh, you know, must be there uh, entertainment in my opinion. So buy or sell. I'm gonna go right off that buy or sell. You want the Elam ending, period for basketball. That should be the standard way basketball games end. Go. I'm gonna sell that. Uh, there are some flaws in the Elam ending, like when you end on a free throw and things like that. I, I do agree that it makes the end of the game a lot more exciting. But just like in the major leagues, you know, the minor league baseball adopts some different l rules than the majors does. I, I don't think it'll ever make its way. I, I think you, at one point you could see quarters being introduced in the mids game, but other than that, I don't see any drastic changes. Yeah, I'll sell it just because it's so uh, uh, drastic. But here's what I'll buy. I think they should make all overtime or just overtime uh, Elam ending. I think that would be a good way to kind of introduce it into the game. Um, and I think that would just make overtime so much more entertaining too because, uh, you know, it's just so much more intense. And I think it's, uh, like Dustin said, you know, I think it's just so radical. It's, it's never going to be you know, the way that basketball is played at the college or NBA level. But I think you can fit it in to maybe you, you do it at a, um, you know, maybe one of these midseason tournaments or like the NIT, they test it out and see how it goes. But I don't think you're going to see it adopted for all of college basketball. I, I personally love it, though. I would love to see, you know, I want more of it. I want more of the Elam ending. Uh, you know, I agree with with Nick, Nick Elam about, you know, I just I've seen so many of these games end in foul fest and, you know, who can. Uh, you know, shoot the, the, the you know, free throws the best. I mean, this makes basketball teams play basketball all the way to the end. So I, I like encouraging that more than, uh, you know, wasting time and, and, and trying to make free throws. So um, I think a good a good kind of happy medium would be to, to introduce it to overtimes, though. 
Yeah, just you end the game. Game is tied at the end, and you add. You're like first one to seven points. Here we yeah. go. Like you're on the playground again. Yeah. Right. Okay. Buy or sell. We've seen a lot of the conference realignment now is impacting the major conferences. Obviously, we're getting several teams pulled away to the Big 12 because they lost Oklahoma and Texas. We're seeing the Pac-12 get raided now. It's it's affecting everybody. So, you know, Wichita State's move to the American was we want to be in a conference that's regularly going to get multiple bids to the NCAA tournament. And with all these changes, do you see this as the domino that this is the beginning of the end for Wichita State and the AAC? Or are they just along for the ride at this point? Uh, I mean, I think it's uh, – they're, they're along for the ride for sure. You know, without football, you know, they're not going to have much say in it. Um, I mean, it's just – it's so hard to tell if this is uh, – you know, if the American's going to be able to, to, you know, survive. I think adding those new teams, it's definitely solidified itself. But as we talked about, you know, things can change so fast. You know, if they lose SMU and Memphis, for example, you know, that's just not very appetizing – for Wichita State, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, other conferences have to want you, too. Uh, you know, when people ask about, you know, the Big East or, you know, the Atlantic 10, uh, you know, th those conferences have to, to want Wichita State. It's not just like, okay, we want to leave the American. Like, uh, you know, we're going to be able to go wherever we want. So um, I I'm going to buy that, uh, you know, Wichita State, I think they're going to be in the, the American. If you ask me for the next five years, you know, if I had to put money on it, uh, you know, I would say that, you know, more likely than not, Wichita State will still be in the American five years from now. I would agree with what Taylor just said. Only thing I would add, eventually I think football could break off and we'll have Super Bowl or Super Conference One that has their games on Fox and Super Conference Two that has their games on ESPN. And then the rest of the sports go to more of a regional um, type leagues or whatever you want to call it, because that that just seems like that's the direction that we're headed in. Yeah, I would be pushing personally for the A10. I think that's that's the American that should have been uh, that either the AAC wanted to be in terms of just men's basketball. Uh, I mean, I think the A10 is going to be you know four maybe five bid league this year. I, I really love the coaches they have in that league. Uh, you know, it's a basketball league, and I think if you're Wichita State, you know you're already uh, you know, paying crazy amounts to, to travel in the American, I would at least explore that opportunity to, to maybe jump to the A-10 and see if they're interested in, in adding, because uh, I think Wichita State would be a great basketball fit with uh, a lot of those schools. And, uh, you know, that's going to be the best uh, conference outside of the, the power, uh, power structure now. And that's what the American thought it was, you know, a couple years ago. Uh, so I think the A-10 is, is the league. That's the one that's going up, and right now the American's the one that's going down in terms of men's basketball. Finally, going to end it on a over-under. Tons of new players, lots of uncertainty going into the games. So counting only regular season games, the number of starting lineups that Wichita State has this year is six or more, over or under. I'll way take the over. If if you would have said ten, I probably would have took the over. So I just what about fourteen and a half <laughs> for half the games? No, I think they'll probably settle in by the end of the season. But I think early on, um, you know, as Taylor talked about, particularly as IB's trying to make this team in his kind of image and way of things, and maybe being a little bit more in that head coaching role, willing to you know pull and 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 push guys a little bit. So I, I think early in the season, you can flip a coin with who's starting. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to go over two. I think it's going to take some time, uh, especially with so many options that they have. I think it's going to take time, and I think he's going to experiment. Last year, I mean, he was pretty dead set on that that starting five. I think this year is going to be a little uh, way different uh, where he's going to have to tinker with that lineup and uh, try different combinations. And just because there's so much turnover, so many newcomers, uh, you know, I think it's going to just depend, you know, week to week on who practices the best. And that's going to get, uh, you know, the starting nod because, you know, like we talked about, you know, Craig is pretty much the only one that you can pencil uh, or, uh, you know, Sharpie in that starting lineup. So, you know, if you have four other spots where, you know, you could go either or, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of different uh, starting lineups this year. Well, it's great to be back. Summer update episode, season 10, episode one. With this being season 10, 
We want to have a lot of, you know, great shows this year. We're going to work on having all of our normal guests, but also see if we can talk to some more people around the program and let you hear from them. And it's uh, it's going to be a change for everyone, but uh, we'll, we'll go along with it and, and have a lot of fun again. Obviously, Taylor will have great coverage at Kansas.com. Producer Brian does a great job with his company here, Forge Audio Productions. And uh, tell your friends about us. It's, uh, you know, I think everyone's thinking about football right now, but we're not that far away. We're getting into late August here, and and, uh, we'll have Shocker Hoops here soon. So last thing, Taylor, what should our listeners do? Rate us five stars. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.